All right, guys, we're going to look today, chapter 22, we're starting with verse 2, all the way through chapter 25, verse 18. This, these three chapters deal with the issue of Balaam and a king by the name of Balak. Balak is the king of the Moabites, Moab. If you're wondering who Moab is, remember from the story of Lot, he is, Moab is one of the sons of Lot that were basically produced after Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed. Remember, Lot's daughters had a relationship with their dad while he was drunk because they were afraid that they weren't going to get married. And the product of that from the two daughters is Moab and Ammon. So these are direct relatives to Israel. And, but they're, you know, even though God has not told Israel to wipe out Moab, they're afraid. We're going to see that here in this passage. So let's talk about uh, Balaam and the Moabites. Okay, so first thing, we're going to see that Balak, who's the king, invites Balaam to come to him. So first thing, when the Moabites saw what Israel had done to the Amorites, not the Ammonites, the Amorites, they were terrified. So remember, Israel came through, we talked about this last week, they wiped out a king by the name of Sheon, we also wiped out a uh, king named Og, They another place called Arad, and so the Moabites are seeing this and are like really scared about the Israelites. You would be too, okay? You would be too. And so the Moabites were terrified of what's going to happen. So Balak, king of Moab, looked about for some kind of solution to deal with Israel. Okay? So he's looking about trying to figure out, how am I going to deal with this million people who showed up on my doorstep? How do I deal with them? Okay? How do we deal with them? <clears throat> Naturally, when you've got an opposing country or something and you want to know how to deal with them, you're going to try and figure out whatever means you can to deal with this enemy, okay? They're viewing Israel as an enemy. Now, let me just kind of say to you, this is not, although this is the only place where it's recorded, Balak is not some imaginary king. Just recently, there was a, a, a monument that was deciphered in the Middle East, and guess which king was mentioned on that monument? The Moabite king, Balak. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's pretty significant, isn't it? Well, you might have been another Balak. No, no, it's from this time period. This guy existed, and he's worried about Israel. Okay? This guy existed, and he's worried about Israel. So, Balak sent messengers to Balaam. Now, Balaam is not a Moabite. He's a Midianite. He's from the Midians. Okay? so that he would come and curse Israel. So he's a seer. He's what's known as a seer. Another term for it would be a prophet. Not a prophet of God, but a prophet among the Midianites. A seer. All right? Somebody who can tell the future or, or even lay curses or whatever. So Balak sends messengers to find Balaam and bring him back to curse Israel. All right, so he's figured out the way that he's going to deal with Israel is to curse them. Now you're saying, well, that's pretty ridiculous. 
Yeah, but you got to understand the ancient mindset. The spiritual was just as real to them as practical, have a bigger army, defeat them on the battlefield type thing. So they tied everything together. So they're assuming, Balak's assuming, well, if I curse them, then we will have the upper hand. Okay? We'll have the upper hand against them. So he sends messengers to Balaam so that he would come and curse Israel. Now, Balak saw Israel as too mighty for Moab and that the pronouncements of Balaam came true. He saw two things going on here. He saw that Israel was too big and too strong for Moab, number one. Number two, he saw that whenever Balaam said something, whenever he made a pronouncement, whatever that pronouncement was, it would come true. Sounds like the right thing to do. Bring the guy in, make a pronouncement of a curse against Israel, and guess what? It's going to come true. So Balak, he's not dumb. He's thinking this through. Okay? He's thinking this through. So the Moabite elders came with a diviner's fee for Balaam, and he had them lodged there for the evening. So you just don't show up and say, hey, I want you to come and curse this enemy of mine, you've got to pay them. Okay? you got to pay them. For, for I've never been to a palm reader. Don't tell me if you have. Okay? But I'm assuming that they, when they want you to read your palm, even at the fair, they want you to give them something. Right? Before they, they, want, they want some money. And the more you give them, the more they're going to tell you. Right? Okay? So it's, it's just continue on in, in life. Okay? Continuing on in life, and so what you see here is that the Moabite elders came with the diviner's fee for Balaam, and he says, okay, I want you guys to stay here for the evening. The text says, I've got to inquire of the Lord. Okay, I've got to inquire of the Lord. Now, we're going to talk about that in a moment. So the Lord came to Balaam and asked who the men were that came to him. So the Lord came to Balaam, and asked who the men were that came to him. Now let's stop for a moment, because you're probably confused. Alright, so he's not a Jew. He's a Midianite. How is it possible that God is interacting with some soothsaying, seer, diviner, prophet from the Midianites? How's that possible? Well, let me just stop for a moment. I want you to realize, okay, that up until the time of Abraham, there were still people who would fear God. Do you understand? Who interacted with God. So for instance, remember when we were in Genesis, there was Melchizedek, the king of Salem, priest of the Most High God. And you'll see, even in the language, our, he our English language doesn't bring it out, the titles that these guys use for God are the titles that were used for God in the book of Genesis. They're generic titles representing the supremacy of God. Now, when you come to the nation Israel, especially with Moses, God reveals to them alone a more intimate name, which we know as Yahweh. You don't ever see a Gentile using that name, Yahweh or Jehovah. So whenever you see Balaam interacting here, he's using the names that were generally known of the supremacy of God. So he believes in God. 
Okay? He believes in God. So God comes to him. That's unusual, isn't it? Okay? God comes to him and says, Who are the men who came to you? Who are these men? So after explaining Balak's request, the Lord told Balaam not to go with them because Israel is blessed. The Lord says, don't go with them. Okay? Don't go with them. You know what? As I'm saying this, I'm watching some eyeballs here and some looks of confusion when we've talked about Balaam knowing the Lord. Who's got a question? I just feel, see some confusion here. Who's got a question? I'm not ready to share my question yet. Well, it didn't say he didn't believe in God. He does believe in God. Okay? But he doesn't serve them the way Israel. Do you understand what I'm saying? He knows there's God. God's coming and talking to him. If God's coming and talking to you, you know he's real, right? Okay? And he has a fear of God. Why? Because we're going to see here in a moment that he's going to tell Balak, I can't share anything more than what God will tell me to share. So he knows the reality of God. But it's not the reality of faith, though. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? We'll, we'll see this in a moment. Okay, yeah, Rhonda, because I... Yeah, you're going to see that with this guy. Well, God chose to use them. He believed them. He believed that God existed. Okay, you know what I'm saying? Okay, so for instance, stop for a moment, guys. Balaam is a very good illustration of what we see happening on our TVs today. Okay? What do you mean? When you turn on, especially on Sunday, or turn on that special channel on cable, you see a lot of guys there, and they'll say to you that they believe in who? God. They'll even proclaim the gospel right on their show, but here's what else they'll do. What else do they do? Mike just did it with his hands. Yeah, they, they, usually they don't, they don't sit there, they have their hands outstretched. Do you, you know what I'm saying? Because they're in it, you can tell real quick if you're spiritual and if you know the Lord, they're in it for what, folks? They're in for the money. They're not in it for Jesus. I mean, how many jets do you need to own to go fly around for the gospel? Do you, you know what I'm saying? I mean, seriously. But people will, oh yeah, it's got to help him get his jet. Really? They're in it for the wrong thing. Balaam is a very good illustration of that. Okay? He knows God. He knows he exists. Will do whatever God tells him to do. He's afraid of God. But he's in it for what? Himself. Okay? He's in it for himself. So after ex explaining Balak's request, the Lord told Balaam not to go with them because Israel is blessed. So, the Moabites leave after Balaam expresses that the Lord will not allow him to go. So they're like, he's like, I can't go, guys. So they leave. All right? They can't go. They leave. Balak sends messengers again with the promise of a greater reward if he comes. Okay? So Balak says, no, no, maybe we're not paying him enough. So he sends, according to the text, he sends even more important officials. Okay? 
Maybe he sends his right-hand man. I don't know. He sends more important, and, they, and he sends them with a bigger, a promise of an even bigger reward. If you come, we're going to pay you double or triple or whatever, okay? If you'll come. So Balaam responds that he cannot do beyond what the Lord has told him. Okay? So he's like, well, you know, I can't do more than what God has told me to do. Okay? Can't do anything more than what God has told me to do. At this point, it sounds like Balaam's sounding okay. Do you understand? If you're reading this part of the story, he's like doing what God's telling him to do. Right? He sounds like he's okay. On the surface, everything looks good as far as this guy believing and doing what God tells him to do, right? Okay. So the Lord visited Balaam a second time and allowed him to go with the restriction of only saying what the Lord should say, what the Lord told him. That's the only restriction. You can go, but you only tell them what I told you. Okay? Only tell them what I told you. You can go, all right? You can go, but you only do what I tell them to do, all right? Now, in the morning, now here's where we know the Sunday school story, right? In the morning, Balaam saddled his donkey and went with the princes of Moab. So in the morning, he gets on his donkey and heads on out, okay? Now it gets interesting. This is where a lot of confusion is caused. The Lord was angry with Balaam because he went and the angel of the Lord stood in his way with a sword drawn. All right, now, if you're reading this, there's got to be a big question mark coming up in your mind now. I see some heads nodding. Okay, what's the question now? Yeah, he told him to go the night before. Go and don't do any more than what I told you to do. The next day, he's on his donkey going. There's the angel of the Lord with a sword ready to kill him. Now, does that like not make any sense to you? No. Okay, well, you know what? We have a similar incident that happened once before in the book of Exodus. Moses, I want you to be my prophet. I want you to go to Israel and set my people free. What do we read then? Moses is on the road, and guess what? God tries to what? Kill him. Doesn't make any sense, right? Well, we know now, when you read a little bit further in the story, it's because Moses hadn't circumcised his children. He wasn't following the Lord. There's another reason going on here. It's not that he's going. The issue is his motivation in going. Okay? Because Ron had said it earlier. What's Balaam motivated by, folks? Cash or coins or gold, you know? The Lord was not angry with Balaam for going. Rather, he was angered by his motivation. Angered by his motivation. How do you know that, George? Well, let's... All right, if the Lord shows up the first time you go to him and you say to him, you know, these guys are here, they want me to go curse Israel, and God says, I don't want you to go. I don't want you to go. Would that be enough for you that the Lord told you, I don't want you to go? Do you need to go and ask him anymore about whether or not he's changed? My no, okay? Here comes 
Balak now sends more messages. I'll give you more money. You named a price. You, I'll give you whatever. You just come. Now Balaam goes, and, according to the text, goes and asks again. This time the Lord lets him go. What does that tell you about Balaam? Does he already know God didn't want him to go? Yeah. What does, what is that telling you about his motivation? He's motivated by what he can get out of it. Okay? He's motivated by what he can get out of it. God's angry with him. Alright? He's angered by his motivation. So the donkey saw the angel of the Lord with a sword and refused to go on several occasions. In fact, you'll read the story there. One point he pins, he pins, uh, Balaam up against the wall. You know what I'm saying? And he's beating him and he's, and he's like trying to, but the donkey won't go because the donkey sees the angel of the Lord. All right? The donkey sees the angel of the Lord. Now is what is the most interesting thing. This is why it ends up being a Sunday school story. Balaam beat his donkey until the Lord opened the beast's mouth and it spoke to Balaam. Now that would be amazing, wouldn't it? I mean, we, we see movies like that where animals speak to you, okay? But this would be amazing for this to happen. What blows my mind is Balaam acts like this is an everyday occurrence and he's interacting with the donkey. Yeah, it must not be. You know, I mean, a donkey saying, well, you know, I've been a good donkey. I've done whatever you, there's got to be a, all right. So as Balaam interacts with his donkey, the Lord allows Balaam to see the angel of the Lord. Yes. Yeah, it's a theophany. I would say it's a pre-incarnate Christ. Okay. It's God showing up. Um, I would not say it's, God the Father, I would say this is a pre this is the second, the second person of the Trinity has always existed. Okay. So, I mean, Jesus wasn't created when he was born of a virgin. He always existed. So this is, when it talks about the Lord coming in the scriptures to someone, I would be the one who would say it's Jesus coming to them. Yes. He's a sword. Yeah. He has a sword. Yeah. Yeah, only the donkey could, but he couldn't. Yeah, and then God opened his eyes. Now, you're going to hear this again. It's, it happens in 2 Kings with a prophet by the name of Elisha. The king of Syria sent troops against Elisha, and the servant sees all these troops, and Elisha says, don't need to worry. And, and then finally Elisha prays and says, God, open the eyes of my servant, so that he can see we're okay here. And so then God opens the eyes of the servant and he looks and sees the mountains covered with chariots of the angels who are waiting to protect who? Elisha. See, there is a spiritual dimension around you, folks, that you can't see. Did you understand what I'm saying? You can't see it. So folks, even right here in this room, you would say, well, I see, I'm counting here. There's probably 30 of us in this room. Are you sure there's 30 of us in this room? There may be 30 human beings in this room, but there's another spiritual dimension going on here that you aren't aware of. Folks, there are other people in this room. Now, I wouldn't say people. There are other beings in this room. And they're not just good beings, they're evil beings as well, right? You need to realize that. There is a spiritual dimension to this world that you live in. Okay? 
spiritual dimension to this world. All right? Now, so Balaam reacts and confesses his sin as he offers to go back. Now, what kind of sin is he confessing? I mean, he's confessing, ultimately, his motivation's wrong. And then he says, I'll go back. I'll go back. Right thing to do, right? <laughs> I won't go with him. Especially if you see an angel with a sword. Do you know what I'm saying? Okay? Now, by the way, can I make a comment about angels? Let me make this comment. So many times I hear people, they interact about wanting to contact your guardian angel or interact with their angel. How many of you heard that kind of stuff? You know what I'm saying? You see people, oh, my angel. Did. And, and it's like, I talk to my angel. Really, any time in the, in the Bible when a human being sees an angel, whether it's a good angel, always a good angel, their immediate reaction is, are you ready for this? Terror. Terror. Their immediate reaction is fear. Scared to death. Okay? So that tells you a little bit about what folks are when they're interacting with their angels. Okay? Uh, I would say they're not interacting with their angels. All right? Let's go on. The Lord tells Balaam to go with the men, but he is only allowed to speak what the Lord tells him. So again, you can go with them, but you're only allowed to say what I've told you to say. Now, all right. What kind of pressure is going to be on Balaam when he goes with Balak? Because Balak's paying him. What kind of pressure is going to be on him to do what the king wants? Is there going to be pressure there? Yeah, a lot of pressure. All right. Now, what kind of pressure is going to be on Balaam to only say what God wants? More pressure. And what kind of more pressure? I just saw an angel with a sword ready to kill me. That's a motivator, isn't it? Okay, that's, that's really a motivator, all right? So Balak scolded Balaam for taking so long to come and asked if there is was a doubt concerning the pay. So Balak, he doesn't know any of this. He's like, what took you so long? Are you worried about getting paid? Okay, what took you so long? Are you worried about getting paid? So Balaam replied that he was now there, but he could only... He can only, he could speak only what God had put in his mouth. All right, so he's letting him know. But I can only tell you what God says. This is where we're going to see some interesting interactions with Balaam and Balak. Okay, some interesting interactions. So let's look at the oracles. There are actually five oracles. Okay, three of them. The first three, Balak is wanting him to do it. At some point, Balak says, "I've had enough." But there end up being two more oracles. Okay? So let's take a look at them. First of all, there's got to be a preparation for the oracles. So Balak and Balaam went to a mountaintop overlooking the plains of Moab. So gotta to, gotta to see who you're going to be looking at. So they go to the plains to this mountaintop that overlooks, got a great view of the valley, of the plains of Moab. So after sacrifices were made, and let me just tell you folks, we're not talking about one animal. They had to kill seven different bulls. Seven different bulls on seven different altars. This is what Balaam insisted on having. Okay? Balaam went alone to hear a revelation from the Lord. So okay, they did these sacrifices. 
Balaam says, okay, let me retreat. I got to go talk with God, see what God's going to say. All right. So the Lord met Balaam and gave him a message which he was to repeat to Balak. So this is the first oracle. Balaam asked, so this is what the oracle is, how is it possible to curse Israel, the people whom God has blessed? How is it possible to level a curse against the people whom God has blessed? That's the first thing he says. He sees these blessed ones who live apart and do not consider themselves one of the nations. So when he looks out over Israel, he says, what I see here are blessed ones, and they don't even consider themselves to be one of the nations. That's what God says about them. That tells you about, that's pretty significant, folks. If you want to know, see, I'll just tell you this right now. Whatever you read in the Bible, you've got to make a decision about Israel. Just going to tell you that right now. You got to make a decision about Israel. What you decide about Israel will help you to understand prophecy, whether it's end time prophecy or prophecy in the Old Testament. What you decide, because some people say, oh, the church is Israel. No, no, folks. You got to understand who Israel is if you're going to understand the Bible. Do you understand me? You need to mark that down in your mind. And so, Balaam is saying he sees a blessed ones who are apart and do not consider themselves one of the nations. Who are the nations? The Gentile nations. Okay? The Gentile peoples. They are like dust and number and to be identified with them in life or death is a blessing. They are like dust, he says, and to be identified with Israel whether in life or death is, is a blessing. Now, hey, do you know who's identified with them? What are you talking about, George? You know who's identified with them? Yeah, we are. Because Paul says, Romans chapter 9, 10, 11, he talks about the olive tree, the wild olive tree, the branches are broken off, excuse me, the, the cultivated olive tree, and the wild branches are grafted in. Who are the wild branches? You and I. Okay? We are blessed to be identified with them. Alright? We are blessed to be identified with them. All the way back in numbers it's saying that. Wow, isn't that interesting? Let's go on. Balak reacted to the oracle, but Balaam could only share what the Lord has put in his mouth. So here's Balak. I'm paying you. I'm bringing you in. I'm paying for your lodging. I'm taking care of your expenses. To have you curse who? Israel. And what are you doing? You're blessing them. Does he have a right to be upset? Yeah, he's got a right to be upset. You know what I'm saying? He's bringing them in here to curse them. But here's what Balaam says. Hey, I told you I can only tell you what the Lord told me to say. All right, so now we get set up for the second oracle. Same thing over. They go to a different mountain. This time it's Pisgah, Mount Pisgah, looking out over Israel. All right. Mount Pisgah, seven bulls sacrificed. Guess what? I got to get along with the Lord. Comes back. Here's the message. Balak was told directly that the immutable God of Israel had promised to bless his people Israel. Now, immutable is a characteristic, a character of God. It's one of his attributes. When you say that God is immutable, what it means is, is that God cannot change. 
That is a theological, biblical truth. God cannot change. Now you guys, you and I, me too, we need to grasp the immutability of God. He doesn't change because we oftentimes think he changes because of whatever's happening in our lives. God does not change if you're his child. And here he says he has promised to bless his people Israel. He's not going to change on that. So he tells Balak that. So the Lord would not change his mind concerning the people of Israel. God's not going to change his mind. God's not going to change his mind at all. Rather than being overcome, Israel was like a lion, like a lion, Israel like a lion would arise and utterly destroy her enemies. <laughs> this, that's not the thing Balak's going to want to hear, is it? I mean, Balaam's showing up, you know what? Israel's like a lion, and they're going to utterly destroy their enemies. Whoa, I thought I paid you to curse somebody here, you know? Balak pleaded with Balaam to stop, but he could only share what the Lord had put in his mouth. So Balak's like, okay, stop! <laughs> stop! This is not what you, I brought you here for, okay? And Balaam says, I can only share what God told me to share. All right, so that brings us to the third oracle. Balak sets the third and final stage for Balaam to curse Israel from another mountain. So they go to a third mountain to overlook Israel. Third mountain. Having the Spirit of God come upon him. Now this is amazing. Balaam sees a vision concerning God's purposes for Israel. All right. This is amazing. God's spirit will come upon anybody who want, that God wants to use for a purpose. This doesn't mean that Balaam's saved. It means that God is using him. God's spirit comes upon him and reveals to Balaam God's purposes. He described Israel as a beautiful and vast host spread across the wasteland like an oasis. Because this is poetic language here that's being used to talk about how God sees Israel. Okay? How God sees Israel. All right, let's stop for a moment, because that's interesting. This is the same group of people that we've been studying that's been doing nothing but what? Complaining. Do you know, right? They're complaining against God. You brought me out of the wilderness to die. Here's how God sees them. He sees them as what? Beautiful. Beautiful. You know what I'm saying? Hey, folks, how do you think God sees you, even with all your stuff? Do you know what I'm saying? Does he see your stuff? No, he sees you with a love, right? Because of Christ. All right, let's go on. He responded with, may those who bless you be blessed, and those who curse you be what? Cursed. Hey, this is an important verse right now in our culture today. Why? Hey, it's happening all over the world. Guess what's rising up again, folks? Anti-Semitism. People are what? Yeah. Even in our country now. So here's what I'm trying to tell you. This has not changed. The Lord says, those who what? Bless Israel will be what? Bless. Those who what? Curse Israel will be what? Cursed. Okay? Bottom line. All right, let's go on. Balak sees that Balaam did not curse Israel, so he dismissed him without payment. <laughs> You're fired! 
<laughs> Get out of here. I'm not paying you anything. You didn't do what I asked you to do. And guess what? He's convinced now that he's not going to do what he asked him to do. He's convinced. And you would think that would end it, but it doesn't. There's two more oracles. Because guess what? The Spirit of God is on Balaam. So God's got something to say. Two more oracles. Not surprised by this, Balaam stated that he would leave, but he had an additional word from God. Alright? I'm gonna leave, but I gotta, I gotta tell you something else. Alright? Gotta tell you something else. So Balaam begins by recognizing that true understanding comes only from God. You guys need to understand that. True knowledge only comes from where? God. Alright? You gotta understand that. Alright, true understanding only comes from God. He states that a king will arise. This is a prophecy about who, folks? The Messiah. So all the way here in, in, in Numbers, we see a messianic prophecy here. He says a king will arise that will crush the foreheads of Moab. Whoa, that's pretty brutal. Okay? If you look at a map, folks, Moab is would be to the east of the Jordan surrounding what Israel seems to me when I look at the map today one of the enemies of Israel or what to the east of jo Jordan right okay he states that a king will arise that will crush the foreheads of Moab he states that a ruler will come and destroy Edom as well so he's going to not just talk about Moab, he's going to talk about Edom. They're going to be destroyed as well. They're to the south, southeast of Israel. All right, then here is the next oracle. He's going to talk about uh, the Amalekites, the Kenites, and the Assyrians. It's known as Ashur in this passage. Balaam expresses that the Amalekites, the Kenites, and the Assyrians will be destroyed as well. This is all future. They're going to be destroyed as well. In fact, he goes on to say, he looks into the far future and sees ships coming from Cyprus. What? Roman ships. How do I know that? We see the same type of prophecy made in the book of Daniel, referring to what? The, the period when the Greek kings would be destroyed by Rome. And we see that from history. Here we are, all the way in the book of Numbers, and he's seeing a prophecy of ships coming from Cyprus. That would be the Roman ships that would come in the future. Isn't that amazing? Okay? Isn't that amazing? All the way in the time of Moses. The Israelite men, now here's the problem. We get to chapter 25. Balak really didn't need to curse Israel because his people led them astray anyhow. He could defeat them in other ways. How? Sexual immorality. The Israelite men engaged in sexual immorality with the Moabite women. This in turn led them into spiritual adultery as they began to worship Baal. They're connected together, folks. Sexual immorality is connected with what? False worship. Always in the scripture. Always. The Lord commanded Moses that those 
who were guilty must be killed. So those who were doing this had to be killed. I mean, God's being brutal about this. But it's for the whole, for the betterment of the whole nation. So here's the thing. An Israelite was bold enough to bring a Midianite woman right into the camp. That's pretty brazen, isn't it? I mean, you're carrying on, not do, doing what you shouldn't do. What do you do? You don't really care. So guess what? You're going to bring the woman right into camp. Anchored by this, Phyanus, the son of Eleazar, the high priest, impaled both the man and the woman with a spear. So he discovers them. You can figure out what they're doing. And he just goes ahead, pff, impales both of them with a spear. He's angered. Okay? Wow, that's pretty brutal. Yeah, listen to how God reacts. The action stopped a plague from God, but not before 24,000 people died because of their sin. God takes sin pretty seriously, doesn't it? But that stopped it. Him impaling them stopped it. That's how bad things got, where a guy could bring another, bring this Midianite woman into the camp, engage in sexual immorality, and God deals with it. The Lord re rewarded Phyanus and his descendants with a covenant of peace, with an everlasting covenant of peace. Why? Because he was zealous for God. Zealous for God. 